Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Saving Grace, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans. Here's Pastor Nick. Go ahead and take your seats. Welcome to Whitefields Community Church. We're so glad that you are with us this morning. We're so excited to get into God's Word. Please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. We've been studying through the book of Romans. Our series is called Saving Grace, and it's just been a, a wonderful study of one of the greatest, richest, deepest books in the Bible, and we've just really been enjoying it. And we've, we've kind of slowed down a little bit coming here to chapter 8 because this is such a pivotal chapter, not just for the book, but for our lives, it has such, such important things for us to read and know as, uh, as we live our lives and as we seek to walk with God and, and understand his ways. So uh, we're going to begin this morning by reading our text, which starts in verse 18. We're not going to read the whole thing. We're just going to read from 18 to 25 to begin this morning. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes in what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this glorious promise, and we pray that as we study it, we would really understand it, that we would understand what it means, but Lord, that we would not just understand it in theory, but that we would really feel it in our hearts. We'd understand it go from our heads down to our hearts. And Lord, we pray that what we study here on Sunday would change how we live on Monday and forward. So Lord, we ask that you would do that work in us this morning as we open your word. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you guys ever get discouraged? I mean, does life ever get you down? If not, you're probably the only person in the world, right, who would say no to that, because I think that's true of all of us. That's, that's part of life. Sometimes you get worn down and discouraged to the point where you, you even wonder, like, what am I even doing here? Like, what is the point of all of this? And I, again, I think that happens to all of us. If that's you, which I suppose it is, then I want you to know this section is for you. It speaks to you this morning. Here in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, as we begin our study, but from 17 down to verse 30, we're given a perspective on life and a perspective on our circumstances, the goings-on of life, which is absolutely revolutionary, right? Like if you really understand it, if you really take hold of it, if you really embrace it and believe it by faith, um, it will really change the way that you look at your life, and it will enable you to look at all of life's challenges, all of life's difficulties, and face the, anything that life throws at you with courage, confidence, hope, and joy. Courage, confidence, hope, and joy, if you understand what this section is saying and what it means for your life. The title of today's message is, The Best is Yet to Come. And I want you to think about that. Do you know, do you realize that Christians, that is something which only Christians can honestly, legitimately say, that the best is yet to come. No matter what you're going through, 
If your hope is in Jesus Christ, then for you, this is always true. The best is yet to come. It's coming. The, the good days are ahead of you. And because of that, you can be hopeful. And, and you know what hope is, right? Let's define that before we go on. Hope is defined as the expectation of coming good. That's what hope is, the expectation of coming good. And this is something, that which, this is something which sets Christianity apart from everything else and everyone else in the world. Christians, we know that whatever we're going through at the moment right now, you can find strength in knowing that the best is still yet to come. The best is yet to come. And that's not just optimism. I want you to understand that. That's not just like glasses half full thinking. It's not just kind of slapping ourselves in the face and telling us, hey, it's going to be okay. No, this is based in our theology, this belief, this promise. It's at the very heart. It's at the very core of the Christian gospel. And it's not just uh, that one day we're going to go to heaven. It's actually beyond that. It actually applies to this life here and now as well. The best is yet to come. So as we go through these verses, let me give you an outline of what we're going to talk about. First of all, we're going to talk about this. The struggle is real. We're going to talk about the struggle. The struggle is real. Secondly, the future is bright. And thirdly, where to find strength for today. So the struggle is real, the future is bright, and where to find strength for today. That's how we're going to break down these verses. So let's begin by looking at the first part from verses 17 to 23, the struggle is real. Now, let me just bring you back to where we left off last week. Uh, if you were here with us, you might have noticed that I, I kind of left off halfway through verse 17, and that's because there's a transition there. So let's look at verse 17. We left off in our study last week talking about adoption and how adoption is a picture of the gospel, that the good news of the gospel is that we have been adopted by God into his family. We who were not his children, he has reached out to us and made us his children through adoption. And as a result, we get a new identity and a new future. And along with that also comes an inheritance, right? That's what happens when you're part of a family. You uh, become an heir. You're part of the family. You get written into the will. And so what is our inheritance as Christians? Our inheritance is, in a word, or two words actually, eternal life. Eternal life, that's what it is. See, our inheritance is the glorious promise that when this life is over, we will live forever with God. In a new heavens, a new earth, there will be no more sickness, no more tears, no more evil, no more pain, no more suffering. First Peter tells us about this inheritance. It says this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading and kept in heaven for you. You know what that means? It means that this inheritance is secure. It's secure. It's not going anywhere. Because in Christ, if you became a child of God through faith in Christ, then as a child, you get an inheritance. You get written into the will. So that's what it says there in verse 17. If we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. But then here's the part I left off last week, and this is where we're picking up now provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. It's like, wait a second. What, what was that last part? Like, I don't know if I like that. Suffer, provided we suffer. Since when are we talking about suffering? I thought we were talking about good stuff, glorious stuff. Like we're talking about inheritance and being children of God. And we're talking about blessings. I thought we were talking about how we're God's kids, right? And surely God doesn't let his kids go through bad stuff, does he? He doesn't let his kids suffer, except there was that one who we call the Son of God. He was a child of God. He was the Son of God, and, and he sure did suffer a lot too, didn't he? So maybe that means that God does let his kids suffer. And that brings up a really big issue. 
a big issue that I want to address before we get any further. It's, it's something that's called the trilemma. Okay, the trilemma. It's kind of like a dilemma, but di, di means two, tri means three. So it's a, a three-lemma. It's a trilemma. And, and here's what the trilemma is. It says there are three things which Christians claim to be true. And yet people wonder, can all those three things actually be true at the same time? Are they not somehow mutually exclusive? So here's the trilemma. The three, three things Christians believe, but people wonder, can they all three be true at the same time? Number one, God is loving. The Bible says that God is love. God is loving. Secondly, God is powerful. We say that he's omniscient, all-powerful. He can do anything. And thirdly, there's evil. I mean, if you look at the world and, and you don't think that there's evil in the world, then uh, you're, you're a psycho, right? Like, if you, you there's, uh, you know, rape, there's genocide, there's uh, sex trafficking. If you look at that and you don't say that's evil, then maybe you're evil. I don't know, but evil exists. We see it's in the world. See, and the Bible claims that all these three things are true at the same time. But, but for a lot of people, right, they look at that third one, the fact that there's evil in the world. And they say, well, obviously there is. But since there's evil in the world, uh, that must mean one of two things. So it means that either God is not loving or God is not powerful. Because if God is all-powerful, well, that means that he has the ability to stop evil. But if he has the ability to stop evil and he doesn't, well, then that must mean that he's not loving. If, on the other hand, God is loving— and yet he doesn't stop evil, well, that must mean that he's not all-powerful because he'd like to stop evil, he just can't. And people use this argument against Christianity, right? And they'll say, so which is it? We call this a false dichotomy, right? Like uh, two things which are opposed to each other, but they're not, not really exclusive, right? So they say, so which is it? Is God loving or is God powerful? And, and sometimes Christians get all confused and they don't know how to respond, and they're like, um, uh, loving. I guess he's loving. And so they say, well, there you go. If he's loving, then he must not be all-powerful. Because if he's loving, then he could stop evil, but he doesn't. So therefore, there must be something that's not all-powerful in him. And then why would you want to worship a God who can't do something, right? That's not a God at all. So, so maybe there is no God. Or, or if you say, no, no, wait, wait, I take that back. Uh, not loving actually just powerful. He's all-powerful. Then we'll say, okay, well, that means that he could stop evil, but he doesn't. In other words, then he isn't loving, then he's actually bad. And why would you worship a God who is bad? And, and what kind of God is, is bad? Maybe there is no God, or, or at least the one you worship isn't worthy of your worship. And some people are like, wow, I'm, I'm stumped. I guess she got me. That's a pretty good argument. But do you know this? That's not actually a very good argument. It's a very common argument, but it's actually not a very good argument. Let me tell you why it's not a good argument. See, as Christians— what we need to do is we need to respond to that, that trilemma argument, whatever name it comes under, and we need to say, you know what? Here's the thing. There's actually more than two attributes of God, right? You're only naming two attributes of God, that he's loving and that he's powerful. You know that there's a whole plethora of other attributes that God also has. And so in in other words, let's add an extra lemma, right? Let's make it a quadrilemma. So instead of a trilemma, let's add another one. We'll have four lemmas, right? A quadrilemma. So God is loving. God is powerful. There is evil in the world. Let's add a fourth one. And God is all-knowing. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 9.15 and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 9.15 and 11 a.m. 
If you have missed any part of this message or past messages, you can find them all at BeSetFreeRadio.com. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. So that kind of changes the situation, doesn't it? So if God is all-knowing and all-wise, then that means that suffering can actually play a role in God's love if he is all-knowing and all-wise. Or, or what if we add another one and we call it a quintilemma? We now have five lemmas and we, we add a fifth truth. God is not only all those other things, but he is also omnipresent, which means that he's outside of time and he's outside of space. And so I mean that God has a big-picture perspective on the world, on history, on all things that we can't possibly have. And it means that he is working out a plan which is so much bigger and, might I say, so much better than just making sure that we are comfortable and we get everything that we want here and now in this life. And so here's the point of all this. Suffering is part of life here on earth. That's really what he's saying here. Suffering is part of life here on earth, even if you're a child of God. You realize that? Even if you're a child of God. In other words, if Jesus, the Son of God, suffered, then we who are adopted children of God, then why should we expect that we won't also with him? And so the fact that you're a child of God, it doesn't exempt you from experiencing hardship and pain and suffering and difficulty and loss in this life. And sometimes people get upset with God, right? And they say, they say things like, God, hey, don't you love me? Then why is this happening to me? Or God, you know, uh, I thought that I'm your child. Why would you let this happen to me if I'm your child? Remember, so was Jesus, and God allowed him to suffer too. So the fact that we are children of God doesn't exempt us from suffering categorically. And so the question then becomes this, and this is really what leads into verse 18. The question becomes this, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to follow Jesus if, if you still are going to have to deal with the hardships and difficulties of this life? If being a Christian doesn't guarantee you that the circumstances of your life are, are necessarily going to get better and God's not going to let anything bad happen to you, if that's not what Christianity guarantees, then is it even worth it to be a Christian at all? Like, think about it like this. What if you're broke? You're like, I'm broke. Okay. And, and, and then you become a Christian, and you're still broke. Is it worth it to be a Christian? Or what if you become a Christian? Let's make it a little more serious, right? Like, what if you become a Christian, and you read your Bible, and you pray, and you go to church, but the cancer doesn't go away? What if you become a Christian and you go to church and you serve and you give offerings and tithes and you're all in, but that broken relationship never gets resolved? It never gets better. What if you try to live the Christian life and you still don't get that promotion or whatever it is that you're praying for and asking God to do for you? Is it still worth it to be a Christian? Some people would say no, right? And, and we see that in their actions. They might not say it with their words, but we see it with their actions. Because what, well, they'll say things, in other words, they'll say things like, hey, I tried Christianity, but it didn't work for me. Or uh, I tried Christianity, but I gave up on it after a while. Or they might say, I tried Christianity, but it didn't work for me. Or I tried Christianity, uh, but this tragic thing happened to me, and so I quit. And in verse 18, Paul speaks to this question. Is it worth it to be a Christian, even if it doesn't guarantee that God is going to improve the circumstances of your life? 
if that's not what it guarantees to be a Christian, then is it worth it to be a Christian? And Paul says emphatically, yes. Are you kidding me? Are you even kidding me? Do you not even get what Christianity is about? In other words, is what he's saying. It's more than worth it. And here's what he says in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. See, as Christians, we have a hope which is much bigger, and might I say, again, much better a hope that is bigger and better than just having a problem-free, comfortable life here and now. But you know, for so many people, that's all they want. That's all they want is just, they just want safety. They want comfort here and now. They want their problems to go away. They want a little extra help from the big guy upstairs. But here's the thing. What God is offering you in Christ, in the gospel, is something that is so much bigger than that. It's something which is so much better than that. I want you to understand that it's not just something different. It's something better. See, the promise of the gospel is the promise of eternal life. It's the promise of heaven. And not just that, but, but it is this. And if you have that hope, it changes the way that you think. It changes the way that you think. It changes the way that you live. And here's one way, is that when you have that perspective, it sets you free to be a person on a mission. You view this life as like, hey, I've got a short time here, and then I've got eternity awaiting me. And so I'm going to be a person on a mission with these few years that I have. I've got an eternity of comfort and security to look forward to. So rather than seeking comfort and security here and now primarily, I'm going to primarily seek to spend these few years of my life on mission, on a mission to do God's work and to serve other people. Now think about this. For Christians who have the hope of heaven, the worst moments in this life are as bad as it will ever get. For a Christian, a person who has a hope of heaven, the, the worst moments of this life are as bad as it will ever get. In other words, our best days are ahead of us. In other words, the best is yet to come. But on the other hand, for a person who doesn't have the hope of heaven, the good moments of this life are as good as it will ever get. Ahead is worse. See, if you're not going to heaven, and, and I'll be clear, Jesus made it clear that not everyone is going to heaven. And so if you're not going to heaven, then the good moments of this life are as good as it will ever get. And, and so if that's the case for you, then of course it makes sense that you would want to try and make yourself as comfortable as possible here and now. Why sacrifice? Why waste your time on other people? You've got to focus on you. This is all you've got. This is, you know, and if you're on the downward slope, right, like if you're over the hill, well, then you really better focus more on yourself because this is it. It's slipping away between your fingers. Why sacrifice? Why inconvenience yourself for the sake of others? But on the other hand, if you know that the best is yet to come, if you have the hope of heaven, if you know that your best days are ahead, then you can live in a completely different way. And so I want to ask you today to consider this question. Here's my question for you. Does the way you live accurately reflect what you believe about eternity? Now, that's a question that you need to answer between you and God. I just want you to have that question and really pray about it and think about it. Does the way you live accurately reflect what you believe about eternity? Let me, let me talk to you about somebody whose life did do that. In the 20th chapter of the book of Acts, one of my favorite sections in the Bible, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, something for me has been a life verse. It's been a, a defining and motivating verse for how I live my life. It's found in Acts chapter 20. And here's the setting. The Apostle Paul has been, for over 10 years, he's been planting churches and going around and spreading the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. But he finally gets to this place in Ephesus where he settles down. In Ephesus, he settles down for three years, and he has a great ministry there. He, people love him. He's got tons of friends. Things are good. And then all of a sudden, as he's in Ephesus, 
he begins to have this, this nagging feeling, this sensation that God wants him to go to Jerusalem. And God's telling him, I want you to go to Jerusalem. But here's what he knows. He knows if he goes to Jerusalem, I mean, people don't like him there. He's going to get beat up. He'll probably get put in jail, and he may even die. And so you look at that and you say, okay, so, uh, you know, that's an easy one. Don't go there if you're going to get beat up and put in jail and maybe die. And, you know, stay where it's safe and where you got friends and where it's good. And here's what Paul says. Check out what he says in verse 22 of chapter 20. He says, now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, knowing not what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Check this out. But I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What you're seeing there is a person who is totally free from fear. A person who's totally free to follow the leading of God in his life because he's not afraid. He's not afraid. And the reason he's not afraid is because he knows that this life is not all there is for him. For him, the best is yet to come. And did you know, do you know this, that there are some things that you can only do here on earth that you will not be able to do in heaven? There are some things, very limited number of things, which you can only do here on earth, which you will not be able to do in heaven. Let me give you a few examples. So relieving suffering. Relieving suffering is something that you can only do here on earth in this lifetime, right? Because in heaven, there's not going to be more suffering. And so if you want to do that in God's name, this is your chance, this life. Here's another one, helping hurting people. That is something that you can only do in this life because in the life to come, there will be no more hurting people. Uh, Another one is, you know, uh, helping someone who's in need. That's something you can only do in this life. And finally, sharing your faith with others, leading people into a relationship with God by helping them understand God's love for them and the gospel message, the truth. That's something you can only do in this life. You're not going to be able to do them in heaven. Having the hope of heaven, what it does, it sets you free to to fearlessly pursue those things which you can only do here on earth because you know that, hey, look, this life is short and the best is yet to come. Therefore, you can be free from fear, and you can follow God with confidence. Now, the struggle is real. That's what we've been talking about. We live in a broken world, and that's what the next few verses tell us. Look at verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. In verse 20, the beginning says this, for the creation was subjected to futility. The creation, the creation. In other words, here's the deal. It's not only us who have been affected by the curse of sin. All of creation, nature itself has been affected by the curse of sin. Do you remember in the book of Genesis, it says that when sin came into the world, when Adam sinned and sin came into the world, it says that from that time on, thorns began to grow. Thorns began to grow. In other words, from that time on, all of creation was under a curse of sin and nature is not as beautiful or as fulfilling or as great as it once was or as it was as it is meant to be now i love nature i love living in colorado and i love hiking i climb mountains for fun and and when i go out i take pictures but there's this funny thing on my phone that after i take a picture a couple hours later it'll send me like a modified version of that picture right they'll be like hey you know that picture you took of that beautiful thing well we made it better 
and it's act, there's actually a name for this, by the way. It's called hyper-reality. Hyper-reality is the idea that we want something that is better than reality. Like, reality is okay, but we want something better than reality, right? Like, think about when someone paints a painting of a landscape or a natural setting. What do they do? They take out the power lines. They take out the things that are blemishes in the picture, the things that are not that great in real life, and they want to make the picture what? They want to make it more dramatic, more beautiful than it actually is. They make the mountain peaks a little bit higher. They make the sunset a pop a little bit more, right? That's what we do with Photoshop, right? We Photoshop our photos. Why? To remove imperfections and to augment the images in order to make them better than reality. And the reason we do those things is because in all of us, we're searching for beauty without blemish. We're searching for perfection and fulfillment. And there is a lot of beauty in this world, and yet we long for something more. We long for something more beautiful, something perfect, something that is truly fulfilling for us in a deep and lasting way. And here's what's really interesting is that in verse 20, where it says, for the creation was subjected to futility. That word futility in the original Greek text uh, can also be translated frustration. So creation was subjected to frustration. But here's what's even more interesting, is that this word is the same word that's used in the book of Ecclesiastes, where the writer says this phrase over and over, vanity. Everything is vanity. It's the same word. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. If you would like to support Be Set Free Radio or the ministry of Whitefields Church in Longmont with a donation, you can send a check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or give a financial gift online at whitefieldschurch.com.